Hi, everybody, and welcome to my second podcast. This is Seth. Um, I've just created a new intro to my podcast. I'm really excited about it. hope you like it. GarageBand is awesome. Um, so I was asked to talk in this week's podcast about um, the work that I'm doing in schools. So to explain a little bit more about bringing meditation into schools and mindfulness in schools and what that looks like and how that works. Um, so to begin with, I guess I'll say that, again, um, while I was away in India, I was actually contacted by the Andover Youth Services, and they said that there was an opiate epidemic that was starting in Andover, um, and that seems to also be in many places around the country. And they asked if there's any way that I could help. So when I eventually did come back to this country, um, they kind of bridged me over to the school, to Andover High School. And I went in and I uh, did some after-school meditation programs with the students there. And, um, you know, really started getting my feet wet, so to say, with teaching meditation in schools in this country. I, I actually taught a bunch of schools while I was in the monastery in Germany um, as part of the German educational program. They actually bring students to temples and ashrams and things like this as kind of like um, part of their yeah, classes on religion to see what other religions are doing. So, um, so I probably taught, you know, a few hundred uh, German students over my time there. But um, yeah, so I started doing it here and also with the specific intention to see how I could support students, um, you know, with a focus on the opiate addiction and, and students that, um, yeah, maybe are making choices that are harmful for themselves um, because they just simply don't see another way out of it. So my work there also began to branch out. Um, I told other people what I was doing. I then started teaching in Medford High School um, and then also at MIT for the students and faculty there. Um, and currently I'm in Woburn in the middle schools. And on top of that, different teachers have been asking me to, um, to help them. You know, What can they do to help bring mindfulness and meditation into their schools? So I'm also doing some work with Wood Hill middle school in Andover. Um, yeah, and a few various schools. I've done some professional developments. So when I walk into a classroom um, of students, as is part of my work, I really firstly try to connect to the students on their level. I try to respect them as people, as individuals. Um, I know for myself, from my time in school, I, you know, I had a bit of a distaste for school because I felt like I was just kind of sitting there and being forced to, to hear and to learn things that maybe, you know, weren't so important or interesting for me. So I really make sure that I'm not um, just another talking head in the classroom that comes and kind of talks at the students. Um, I really more try to come in and be in relationship with them, to communicate with them. Um, so I walk in and I say hi and I ask them their names and kind of see what they're doing and what they're up to and really just make some small talk. So really just kind of, um, you know, I guess say very informally, just kind of introduce myself. And I also go around and I ask everyone their names. So I really make sure that I make individual contact with each of the students. So they really feel seen um, as individuals. And I feel that this also builds a, an air of mutual respect within the classroom. And I think that when a student feels respected, they're also more likely to respect you back. Um, when you really level with them, when you talk to them directly on the human level. So this is also, um, I think, a really important thing in general, kind of in life, is to always remember to talk to people on the human level. 
Um, often we get caught up in positions and in ages, and I'm the teacher, you're the student, I'm the boss, you're the worker. Um, I'm, the, I'm the parent or I'm the child. But um, when I really interact with them on the human level and I say hi and I look them in the eyes and ask their names and, and I really open up friendship to them, um, they really become very responsive, they become engaged, they become very open and interested to hear, oh, who is this, who is this guy in our class? Because I feel suddenly more like I'm one of their friends. Um, it creates a friendship attitude. And again, this, this mutual respect, it really seems to soften the whole process. Um, because I am bringing something in that's a little bit strange, a little bit different. So often when I go into a classroom, I'll begin by telling my story, you know, saying um, where I went to school and what school was like for me. And, and yeah, my experiences, what that felt like, and a bit about my travels. Um, but then I'll kind of start to bring it back to them and say, you know, why specifically I was brought into schools. And I sometimes ask, you know, does anybody here feel any anxieties? Anybody here um, sometimes have trouble dealing with emotions or have a difficult time at home? Um, so I really just kind of start very generally just asking, you know, where people are at emotionally and with things. Um, and it always takes a bit of a different twist. Sometimes it really goes more to the social emotional side of things. Um, that students are really saying that they're struggling, depending on the age group, of course, also. Um, I think high school students are much more aware of the stress they're under. Middle school students, generally speaking, so especially 6th and 7th graders, um, they don't really seem to notice stress as much. So I don't usually hear from them that they're feeling stressed. Um, and so with the younger kids, I really talk more about how enjoying meditation is, how nice it is to really relax. And sometimes I'll talk about my own experiences of going deep into meditation and maybe hearing things or seeing things. Sometimes you have colors or different perceptions, like you're floating out of your body. So I kind of give them um, something to be interested and curious about in terms of the fact that meditating really starts to change your perception, how things are um, in your experience of life and of the world. And so, yeah, really reaching them on their level, kind of trying to find what it is that would interest them and hook them in. Because um, eventually meditation is really helpful for everybody. Um, it's a very, um, you know, wellness-centered practice in terms of it really brings a sense of well-being. It really brings you back in towards yourself and helps you relax and feel more centered. And um, the reason people practice is always going to be different. But ultimately the point that you're going to be arriving at is very similar. So I really kind of just see what it is that would interest them and, and how to get them involved. Um, when I move up to higher grades, when I move up to even just within the middle school itself, when I talk to an eighth grade class, I'll also maybe talk about, yeah, you know, the high school is coming up and you're going to have a big change coming up. A lot of those students have a lot of work. There's a lot going on. Then there's also college prep in that. So I also really present it as a way that, hey, you know, if you guys really learn these skills now, it's going to really benefit you later. It's going to really help you out and support you, um, you know, when you've moved on from here. And then, again, in high school, I don't really need to sell it so much on that level. I can really already just, you know, open up and say, hey, who here feels, you know, stress or anxiety or who here would like some kind of supportive practices? And right away, you seem to already get people, you know, that raise their hands and, and they're interested. Um, so... I think that um, that's kind of step one. It's, it's kind of knowing your audience, knowing who you're talking to, and it's really about reaching them on their level. Um, so there's no script that you can have, right? So a script won't work. You can't have really anything that's um, you know, already predetermined that you just you know, say to them. It's really class by class, um, you know, 
specific. And I guess it would also be the same as if you talk to anybody. I mean, if you talk to a person, you know, that you're passing on the road versus if you talk to somebody that you meet in a university versus if you talk to a, a child of a friend. Um, depending on who you speak to, you also automatically often will change the way that you speak and, and how you're relating just to reach the audience. So it's, again, just important to really see the people in front of you. I think this goes for talking in general in front of audiences. Um, so the next thing I do in the classroom is after that, um, and after explaining about meditation, what I do, then I also ask them, do you guys want to meditate? So I never force it on them. I never say, we're going to do this now. I say, you know, who, are you guys interested? Who wants to? And I've never had a class that said, no, we're not interested. They're always interested. If there are a couple people in the class, this is individuals that are not interested, I already from the beginning say, okay, well, listen, so I'm going to lead in meditation because it seems like there's some interest. For those of you that are not interested, you can just put your heads down on the desk and rest. It's fine. So I already give them an out. Sometimes you'll have kids that do put their heads down on the desk and kind of rest. And that's fine because also at least they're not disrupt disrupting the rest of the class. Um, but on top of that, I often find that even if someone puts their head down, they're still listening to you and they're still involved. And um, there's a lot of kids also that their way of feeling safe and their way of feeling empowered is by being a rebel, is by going against what they're being told to do, uh, which is normal. So it's also important never to really get angry at them. I don't come in as a disciplinarian. Uh, I don't punish them if they don't do it. I really already say, you guys, if you don't want to do this, it's fine. But then, you know, at least don't disrupt the people that are, that are interested. Um, so sometimes you have kids put their head down, but more often than not, everyone's kind of ready. So what I have them do is I have them, you know, clear their desks off. I feel that if you have a desk piled with books and folders, it's kind of going to get in your way. So I have them put all that stuff down on the ground. Um, and as I'm sitting there looking at them, you know, I just kind of wait till the class feels a little bit settled. And I tell everyone, okay, sit up in your chairs, put your feet flat on the floor, look ahead. Um, so really kind of get into an attentive position, right? Um, so to really set your body up. So it kind of also changes your habitual way of being. Um, this is something also that I've learned that if you ever want to change your mindset or your mood, you can just kind of jump up and shake out and scream and kind of just change your, your biology in that second, so to say. Change your, you know, how your position is, what's going on in you. And you just really... Um, by moving, by shifting your body position, you can also shift your mind. So by having them, you know, put their feet flat on the floor and sit up, you know, they go from, you know, these slouching kind of uh, like tired, heavy positions to being in positions that they're more alert, they're awake, they're sitting there. So when the class is sitting there, I have them then slowly close their eyes. So I tell them already, I say, yeah, it's going to be really weird. I'm going to have you do something strange. I'm going to have you close your eyes. And don't worry, because my eyes are open, so I see what's happening in the class. So you guys are going to close your eyes. And, um, and I kind of give them this in a way that they feel safe. So I think a lot of students, um, and you'll see it. Some are like looking around. Is anybody else looking at me? You know, is everyone else's eyes closed? Oh, this is so weird. So I already kind of put that out there and say, yeah, it's weird. It's strange. It's something new. Um, and by me saying that I'm keeping my eyes open, it also stops, you know, a student from thinking, oh, maybe my friend next to me is going to hit me. Or... Uh, the student from thinking, oh, I'm going to hit my friend when he closes his eyes, for instance. So I keep my eyes open. I kind of see what's happening in the room. And if anyone's looking around the room, they'll invariably make eye contact with me. And then I'll just, with my hands, make a symbol to close their eyes. And they do. So one thing I've noticed right away is that if you stay in this place too long with just them sitting there with their eyes closed, usually they're going to start giggling. Um, 
giggling is kind of a big thing when you're starting to teach meditation to students in the classroom. It's not something to be afraid of, I would say. Um, in fact, it's something to maybe even be expected. If students start giggling um, and I feel that the class is about to kind of erupt, I let them go for it and I say, okay, listen, everyone keep your eyes closed but laugh as loud as you can. So I really let them stay in that giggly mood and really express it because often they get the giggles because they think they're supposed to be quiet, right? And it makes them feel a pressure or nervousness and that laughter kind of just happens. So if you say, okay, just keep your eyes closed and let that laughter out, it sometimes lets that energy pass and then they're able to sit again. I usually curb that right from the beginning by taking a, um, a singing bowl with me, a bell, and right away when they close their eyes, I tell them, okay, we're going to now listen to a bell. So I have a bell. Just relax and listen. There's nothing to do, but just follow the sound. And I feel that this exercise of listening really kind of moves them out of their body and out of that uncomfortable feeling of sitting in a silent room, um, that suddenly there's a sound, which kind of takes some of the pressure away. There's a, a bit of a relief because, okay, now there's a sound. So, you know, there's not so much pressure on me making noise or not making noise. So I ring the bell a few times, and the bell itself is also very soothing and, and kind of has a way of bringing people automatically into a, a more deeper, more relaxed place. And after I've rang the bell, I again just tell them to relax, and I slowly walk them through relaxing their body, so they're relaxing their, their face, relaxing their shoulders and arms, going down, relaxing their chest and stomach and backs and legs and feet. And after their body's relaxed, I tell them to feel the floor under them and then also to feel the room around them. So this is something that I've just come to um, myself that I've noticed that when I meditate, I really feel a sense of spaciousness. I feel a sense of openness. So as part of the guiding of the meditation, I try to guide them already into that feeling of open space by feeling the space around them, feeling the room around them. So I already bring them into that open mind kind of place. And from there, then I guide them to their breath, to feeling the breath flowing in and out. And even eventually as the breath comes in, it's relaxing them. And as the breath goes out, sending peace to the room. So I really kind of eventually guide them from the body level slowly into the emotional level. So the Buddhist understanding of meditation, it's that you use the body um, as kind of an entry point very often, that the body is you know, the, the stepping stone. You start by feeling the breath, by feeling the body breathing. And then you slowly get a little more subtle, which is then the feelings, the feeling of peace, the feeling of relaxation, that you slowly shift your perception from feeling the body to feeling the emotions. And ultimately, it's those sensations, that, that feeling of peace, that feeling of relaxation that starts to really bring the mind in and sinks the mind deeper. So ultimately, actually, a, a pleasant feeling is what really brings the meditation to life and really activates the meditation and brings the mind in. So I try to bring the students to that place where they really feel safe, they feel peaceful, they feel comfortable. And I really kind of try to let them stay in that and marinate in that, right? So I try to kind of balance them in that space and then let them really stay in that and feel that. And the meditation itself, so this whole process really from beginning to end, usually about 10 minutes. And then slowly after I feel that there's like a peace that's descended on the room and that everyone's kind of rested, um, I'll again bring out the bell and say to them, I'm going to again ring the bell, ring the bell. And then I have them slowly take some deep breaths, coming back into their bodies. They can then rub their hands together. So until their hands become warm and place their hands over their eyes and over their face. So slowly bringing them back into their bodies. 
Um, and then they can, you know, rub their shoulders, rub their back, slowly open their eyes and come back. So that's kind of the meditation process itself that I do with them. Um, and then the next thing I look around and I say, how was it? You know, how do you feel? Um, often students will feel relaxed. Usually everyone feels more relaxed. Many will feel more tired. This is very normal because really students, these guys are waking up really early in the morning to jump on the bus and get to school. And it's usually class to class to class to class. There's so much stimulation. So they actually are pretty exhausted, but they don't realize it. I think anyone that has a, a middle schooler or a high schooler knows that they really love sleeping because they are quite exhausted, but because they're on this track of, um, you know, one event to the next to the next, and their minds are so stimulated, they're not actually in touch with that exhaustion. So actually when you have them meditate, very often they'll realize, oh man, I'm really tired. Um, which is fine because, again, they're just coming back into their bodies. They're coming back into how they're feeling. Um, but more importantly than that, I feel that the students are also really making contact to this reservoir of peace and relaxation that's in themselves. And I really try to make sure to tell them, you know, it's not that you just did something called meditation that made you feel peaceful. Actually, all you just did was relax. All you did just now was kind of let things go, let things stop. Let things come to stillness all by themselves. And ultimately, this peace, this relaxation, this is almost the natural state of your mind. The mind is naturally kind of relaxed. And it's only when you're thinking, only when you're, you're planning or you're worried about something, um, only when you know, there's some kind of discontentment in your mind that these thoughts are, are starting to come. But actually, when you feel uh, you know, well, you feel relaxed, the mind naturally comes to this place of stillness. So that's inside of you always. So I really try to tell them that, that this place of relaxation is in them always. And anytime they want, they can reach that. Um, that they can you know, take that understanding with them. That as if you know, you're in the desert and there's fresh water just below the sand. And all you have to do is kind of get down there and reach it. So um, I think this is really empowering for them just to know that they have you know, this, this emotional, stable, and peaceful base always just residing under the surface. Um, I'll also often open it up for questions about, you know, what they experience or if they have anything they want to know about meditation or me. And again, this goes in many different directions, you know. And it's always uh, very fun and interesting. And I'll get questions about, you know, being a monk and what that was like or questions about the meditation or, you know, someone saying that, oh, my body disappeared or I saw this light or different things like this, which is always really cool. Um, so this is also why it's important that I have a really strong background in the meditation practice so that I can answer these questions that anytime somebody, you know, tells me what they've experienced, I kind of can tell them where they are in a certain framework so I can relate to them. So I think it's also really important that for one who teaches mindfulness and meditation, I mean one who teaches anything really, but in this case anyway, who teaches mindfulness and meditation, that you have your own practice and that you really have experience in what you're doing, that you know how to also kind of guide people forward. Um, so this is if you're bringing it in from, from kind of an outside, you know, consultant or whatever I would be called. Now, if you're a teacher, so this is a different thing, if you're a teacher of that class and you want to start bringing mindfulness and meditation in, you don't have to pretend that you're the expert. In fact, it's probably important that you don't do that. Instead, you say, hey, you know, I want to try this out or let's do this together. So you really do it with the students, that this is a thing that you guys are all engaged in together. So it takes you out of that um, leadership 
role in terms of you have to have all the answers, you have to really know what's going on, and more in a position that you're kind of uh, an accompaniment, that yeah, we're going to do this relaxation process together. This also really takes the pressure off of you to think that you know, you have to be some kind of a meditation expert to bring it into your classroom. Um, because ultimately all you're doing is sitting and breathing and relaxing. And, um, you know, you don't even have to talk about it afterwards in terms of, you know, what did you experience? If you don't want to, you can just, you know, go through the meditation. I like to do that just because they reflect more. It takes the experience and kind of gives it a bit of a conceptual framework that they can understand it. Um, I think once you've experienced something, if then you think about it, it kind of makes a stronger mark inside of your mind. Um, but it's not something that, you know, you have to do. So, um, so yeah, so for me personally, I think that's, that's pretty much what I do when I go into schools, when I go into classrooms. So the second thing that I do is when I'm teaching the teachers, yeah, when I teach teachers. For teachers, I again really start by telling who I am, telling a bit about my story, how I got involved in the schools. And also, um, I really try to talk about things that they understand in terms of kind of behavior in the classroom, anxiety and depression in the kids, um, medication that's kind of running rampant. Um, but also the teachers themselves, how a lot of teachers themselves feel quite overwhelmed and actually could use this practice even just for themselves. So I really kind of, you know, paint the picture a little bit and let them know what this is, what are the benefits that they can expect and that they can experience right away. Because again, meditation is really cool because it's not something that you really have to wait to get the benefits from. Literally, when you meditate right away, if you stop and breathe and close your eyes and relax, you'll immediately start to feel more peaceful. Um, that happens all by itself, right? So you don't really have to um, you know, work at it to eventually get the results. It'll just happen. So um, for teachers, I'll also lead them in a meditation very much the same way, you know, relaxing the body, relaxing through the stages, feeling the room, coming to the breath, feeling that relaxation and that peace, bringing them out, using the bell. So all very much the same process. But for teachers, the next step is starting to see how do we want to bring this into the classrooms? How would you like to bring this into your classroom? So I've led an uh, educator's retreat and I'm leading another one soon. And during my last educator's retreat, at the end of the retreat, we asked the teachers, you know, how do you want to bring this into your school, into your classroom? And it's interesting because you really see that every teacher has a very different dynamic. Each school has a very different dynamic. So again, there's not really one way that I found that will work in every school. Some schools, it'll be the health teacher that brings it in. Some, it'll be the gym teacher. Some, it'll be um, the math teacher, that they'll just have their kids sit and breathe at the beginning of class. Some it'll be a grade-wide thing, or some they'll have an assembly, or they'll do it over the intercom. Um, I talked to a teacher that they said every morning they play music, um, some relaxing music in the classroom, and before there's attendance taken, there's no talking in the class. So the kids walk into a classroom with this, you know, relaxing music playing, and they know that there's no talking in that class until the teacher takes attendance. So it already brings them into a bit of a mindful presence without... Um, taking out any time from the class itself. Um, and this point about taking time from the class, this is a resistance a lot of teachers have. They have a curriculum, they have a syllabus, they have stuff that they need to push through, and they feel that they already don't have enough time to do that. So they really are resistant to take a little extra time to meditate. 
Um, I was personally a substitute teacher at Doherty Middle School for a month, same classes every day for a month. And I can tell you that classroom management became a lot easier once I meditated with the kids. So when I didn't meditate with the kids, they were wild. And when I sat with them before class, even for five minutes, they were really more present and able to really engage with me and focus and be a part of the class and what was going on because their minds had a chance to catch up. Um, I also, and you know, with that being said, I'm really hesitant to talk about meditation as a way of, of class control or crowd control. Um, I think it's really, you know, given for the kids as a way to find that, that base, that emotional base inside themselves. However, as a side product, it does also calm and center and focus the class before the lesson. It allows them to really catch up and be there in a, in a much healthier way than whether yelling at them or putting them all on medication so that they're attentive, right? So when I talk to the teachers, um, I start to kind of, you know, give them some suggestions. I know there's some, some teachers that use different mindfulness apps, like Headspace, for instance. Um, I personally have... Um, video, a video on YouTube of a guided meditation that I lead. I actually have a couple um, that some teachers will just play in their class for the kids straight up. Um, and then there's other teachers that all themselves, they actually would rather play a little music and, and lead them through a meditation themselves or just have a couple moments of silence. Um, so I've heard a bunch of different techniques and they all seem to be working and great. There's also some teachers that have the students journal a little bit right after they've meditated just to kind of write their experiences down to ground it in a way, right? So it's not that they had this really interesting kind of profound experience and then jumping right into the lesson plan, but they have just a few moments to kind of bridge that over mentally and conceptually. Um, this is also important because when we meditate, a lot of things come up, right? We'll have a lot of memories, a lot of feelings, a lot of undigested, um, you know, parts of ourselves come to the surface. And to give them that little time to journal, it's also very healthy. It's a nice habit to have. And it also makes sure that the impulse isn't something that just kind of passed right by, but is really grounded in some way. Um, but ultimately, I try to open it up and let the teachers know that, you know, you, you are now really the one who is in control, that you are empowered to, to figure out how you want to do this, um, to feel into it and see, you know, how this could work for you in your classroom, in your school dynamic, um, to let them know that it's going to be different wherever they are. But ultimately, the, the real power comes from the teachers. Um, you know, I've talked with superintendents and principals and school boards and di different things like this. And, um, you know, everyone has different plans and initiatives and incentives. But I really find that ultimately, the teacher's presence in the classroom, how the teacher leads the class, the, the attitude that the teacher has, the way they relate to the students, um, that's really where the change comes from. It comes from really that ground level of the teachers interacting directly with the students and what's, what that's like and how that happens. Um, so this is just some kind of basic backgrounds. Again, if anyone wants to know any more details about any part of this, feel free to write to me at asksethmonk at gmail.com. Um, but ultimately, when I've been doing this work more and more and talking to teachers and and now in schools, for those of you that don't know, there's something called the social-emotional curriculum, which is pretty much um, that, that socially, so as a society, we've seen that there's a problem in the schools, that kids are really not getting the, um, the tools they need to really be humans, right? To really deal with their feelings, their thoughts, um, you know, how to make, you know, conscious, healthy decisions. So the social-emotional curriculum is something that's coming in 
And this has to do with, you know, emotional intelligence training and mindfulness. And there's kind of different branches of it. It's not really sure yet exactly what it is or what it looks like. It's still kind of budding. Some people have more concrete ideas or examples. But as I go school to school to school, I really see that everyone is still trying to figure it out themselves. And so as I bring my own um, insight to the table and kind of what I see, I'm starting to to realize that it's a kind of bigger thing that's happening, a bigger shift. That ultimately the role of an educator has to evolve and has to change. That educators, um, on one hand, also have to be teaching subjects and you know having assignments. But there's a whole emotional aspect that's missing, a whole um, way of interacting and connecting that I think kids need to start experiencing again, to start maybe again moving in the direction of something that feels like a community and less something that feels like an institution. Um, the whole reason for the creation of the social-emotional curriculum is really because the kids have no way of connecting emotionally anymore. They haven't really learned how to be emotional beings in a healthy way. And schools need to really take that role over slowly, that we have to, as a as the teachers in our society, right, as the educators, we're, we have to really shift the definition of what it means to be an educator. And so um, I kind of feel that ultimately the direction we're going to be going in is something that looks more like that, that there's going to be a deeper systemic shift in, in how schools are run and, and what, the, what the main focus really is and, and what's happening. Um, so it's actually a really interesting time as far as I'm concerned in the educational system and really to see, yeah, what happens and what that looks like and how it moves forward. And I'm definitely excited to be on the front lines of this and to really be part of that shift and, yeah, to also just be kind of scattering some seeds into the wind and seeing what, what grows. Um, and also just bringing my, my understanding and my knowledge of meditation and my deep practice in this as a, as a transformative practice, um, you know, into schools, to teachers, to students, into something so fundamental in our society. Um, that it really feels um, like it's part of a, a greater societal shift, and that's really cool. So, uh, yeah, I've seen that I've already talked for 30 minutes, so I guess I'll leave it off there for now. Um, I'm still kind of working on the format of these podcasts, how they're going to look, how often I'll do them, how long they'll be. I think about a half an hour is a good time. It's about the time of a commute. Um, so yeah, again, feel free to write to me, askSethMonk at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or topics. I mean, I'm kind of just feeling around in the dark here. I'm not really sure what people would like to hear. So yeah, feel free. Just consider this like uh, Ask a Monk. So there's a lot of things that I can talk about. And I'd love to hear from you. So take care and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Visit me at sethmonk.org.